Good morning, everyone. This morning, our letter is uh, the scripture person is taken from the book of chapter, uh, the book of Acts, chapter 11. Sorry, I forgot to read Burmese language. I'm going to read by English. <laughs> I will try to read by English. So the book of Acts, chapter 11, verses 19 to 20, 26. Now those who has been scattered by the persecution in connection with different trouble as far as Phoenicians, Cyrus, and Antioch, telling the message only the Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyrus and Cyrene went to Antioch and began to speak to Greek also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord Hand was with them, and the great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of the rich, the year of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw the evidence of the grace of God, he was blessed and encouraged them all to remain true to the love with all their heart. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And the great number of people were brought to the Lord. And chapter 13, the book chapter 13, verses 1 to 3. In the chart at Antioch, they were prophets and teachers. Barabbas, Simon, Conniker, Lucius, and Serena, many who had been brought up with Herod, the Titus, and Saul, where they were worshipping to the Lord, and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Sit apart from me, Barnabas, and Saul, for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fast and prayer, they placed their hands on them and sent them out. Thank you very much. Thanks very much, Benedict. You got a lot of very difficult uh, names and place um, locations in the Middle East. Uh, let me pray as we begin. Father, you have told us and we believe that the unfolding of your words brings light and understanding, and we need that this morning. Please help us to understand as you open your words to us and to obey you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as you came through the doors of WBC and into the foyer and, and into the auditorium here, you would have if you'd looked around, been joined by people from up to 40 different ethnic backgrounds. This church has people from that many backgrounds in it. And uh, amazing situation. I never had that privilege when I was a young person, uh, when I was a, a, a teenager and even as a young adult, um, the, church, the churches that I was part of were very mono-ethnic. And uh, I missed out. I didn't have that wonderful benefit. I often wonder how, if we, had, if we could step back into time and transport some of uh, the disciples into modern-day Wollongong, into Wollongong Baptist Church, to walk through those doors, how they would feel uh, to see all these ethnicities, not just Jews or a few Greeks, but all of these ethnic backgrounds in our church, uh, what would their experience be? Shock, 
amazement, wonder, gratitude. We will never know, of course, till heaven. But uh, I want to make the point that uh, multiculturalism uh, amongst God's people isn't new. Uh, Wollongong Baptist Church didn't invent it. And uh, in Old Testament times, going back to those thousands of years ago, uh, Israel was surrounded uh, by people of other ethnic backgrounds. And God had told people, he told his people how they should treat people of other ethnicities in their midst to show them justice and fairness. In Leviticus there it says, the foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native born. Love them as yourself. You were foreigners in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. And similarly in Deuteronomy, it says the Lord defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. So God had those patterns for his people in ancient Israel. And this was so different from all of the uh, nations around them. Some of the nations around Israel in those days didn't treat foreigners in anything like that way. They were often murdered, carted off into exile. Uh, they were uh, treated as slaves. But that was not what God wanted of his people. And of course, as we move to the New Testament times, multiculturalism wasn't, was, was very much known to the early church, the early Christian church. And we've seen some of this and the implications of it in our morning uh, services as we've been looking at the book of Acts uh, over the past 10 weeks or so. In Acts 2 uh, verse 5, it talks about God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven being in Jerusalem at Pentecost, and many of them came into the family of God at that time. In chapter 6, it talks about the seven men who were chosen to help the widows amongst the community of the church. And all of those seven men had, had Greek names. Uh, when we get to chapter 8, uh, it talks about uh, Samaritans entering the faith. Samaritans, that half-breed despised group of people in the north of Israel who had their own beliefs and their own pseudo-temple, Samaritans entering the church of God. What next? When we get to Acts chapter 10, uh, we, we read that famous story about uh, Peter being called to the house of Cornelius, the, the Roman uh, overlord. And in, in that house, uh, God works a miracle. Peter walks 50 kilometers to meet Cornelius, and uh, he's a Roman. Uh, he's not a Jew. He's anti-Jewish, probably. That's what Peter thinks. But what happens in the, in the, in the moments that follow that are that uh, that man and his whole household become believers and speak in tongues. So those are some of the passages uh, that we've looked at already in our morning services. I'd like to spend a little bit more time uh, on what happened in Antioch, uh, where um, 
It's a city, uh, it should be up there, that big red arrow. It's a city in um, what is now Turkey, in southeast Turkey. And uh, it, at the time, it was um, a, a bustling city. It was the third largest city in the Roman Empire after Rome and Alexandria in northern Africa. And uh, it was an important city. Uh, it was the capital of a couple of the Roman provinces when the Roman Empire crossed that whole area. And uh, this church was multi-ethnic. Uh, what, what Benedict read for us this morning uh, shows that. It was a multi-ethnic church. Um, Barnabas himself was a Cypriot. He was from Cyprus, uh, probably Greek-speaking. Uh, Simeon, uh, called Niger, probably a, a black person, um, was uh, from uh, uh, North Africa, most, uh, most likely. Lucius was from Cyrene, which is a, a, was a place in, in modern-day Libya. And Saul, of course, uh, was from Tarsus. He was a Greek-speaking uh, Jewish person by background. Although we don't know a whole lot about these people, um, uh, this list shows us that there was a great diversity in ethnic backgrounds. And what matters more than all of their ethnic differences is what bound them together. And uh, those leaders, uh, we're told that they all worshipped God together, they prayed, they fasted, and they were ready to hear his call when he spoke. We read that in, in chapter 13 of Acts. Uh, one take-home message for all of us from this is that whatever our diverse backgrounds, and I can see the backgrounds just looking around this auditorium, um, back, we have different backgrounds in other areas. The one God we serve unites us by his spirit. Luke, the writer of Acts, uh, reports that it was at Antioch that the believers were first called Christians. And this is important uh, because we see that when Gentiles, non-Jewish people, joined the church at Antioch, none of the former names that they had, like Nazarenes or Greek Jews or Africans or whatever, would be good enough to cover this whole mixed cosmopolitan group. They were no longer Nazarenes or Greek Jews or Galileans, but they were Christians. I wonder what the non-Christians in Antioch thought about this. They looked at these people and they're a mixed group, but they all had so much in common. Must have been quite confusing for the average person in Antioch. And another great thing about the church in Antioch is that as we read in, in chapter 13, or heard, two people from this church were getting ready to reach the world. And they did. And thank God that the gospel train didn't stop at the borders of, of Israel. Peter learned that, that it wasn't going to stop there. And so did Paul. Where would we be if it had stopped at the borders of ancient Israel? There would be no WBC, let alone a multi-ethnic WBC. But here we are, 
sitting in WBC in 2022. There were challenges in the early multi-ethnic churches in the ancient world. So we might be tempted to think uh, from reading the early chapters of Acts and, and elsewhere that the early churches, churches had very few problems related to their cultural backgrounds and ethnic makeup. Few disagreements, one big happy family reaching out to the world with the gospel. Well, it wasn't quite like that. One major issue was that um, the people with Jewish backgrounds uh, had a big problem fellowshipping with people who were Gentiles, who were non-Jews. They were anxious about meeting around the communion table with them. They were worried about sharing meals with them or socialising with them. Orthodox Jews had grown up considering Gentiles as unclean, people who were not to be um, shared. You wouldn't share your time with a Gentile. You would never eat with them. But at the Council of Jerusalem, soon afterwards, after that passage we heard in Acts chapter 13, uh, against all the odds, the Spirit of God enabled the believers, the, the Jewish believers and the Greek-speaking uh, uh, non-Jewish believers to come to an agreement. And there we see it, uh, the instructions that the, the early church gave to the, the, gen the Gentiles. Uh, they managed to come to an agreement whereby all could be part of the Christian church, the growing Christian church of all nations. When we look at some of the letters of uh, Paul uh, to the churches in Asia Minor, um, several of them drive home uh, just what Jesus had done in bringing unity amongst the nations. And it wasn't just between Jews and Gentiles. It was even bigger than that. In Galatians uh, 3, uh, we read that uh, in the church, there would be neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. Ephesians tells us that uh, God is making one new humanity out of the two, out of the Jews and the Gentiles. There are no foreigners or aliens in God's household. All are citizens, members, joined together by Jesus Christ himself, who's the chief cornerstone. In Colossians, it tells us that, that there's no Greek or Jew in God's family, no barbarian, meaning barbarian, non-Greek-speaking uh, person, no slave or free person, but Christ is in all. Christ is all and in all. These were huge divides in the ancient world, not just gender, ethnicity, everything. Uh, it was unheard of for such people from different backgrounds to be reconciled to God and to one another, united, living at peace. And it could only happen because of the cross. Christ is a uni uniter or a unifier of all cultures and races and nations. 
But what about us now, here in modern Australia? Up to this point, what we've looked at this morning is, is all history. What about our church today and other multi-ethnic churches around the world and some that you might have been members of? Well, despite all the truly wonderful aspects of multi-ethnic churches, don't assume a multi-ethnic church will be always easy and straightforward. When we face difficulties, it's good to remember that love across ethnic differences isn't just a modern idea, not just a progressive ideal. It started as a biblical ideal. Inter-ethnic love is part of our inheritance in Christ when we refuse fellowship across racial and cultural differences. What are we doing to the beautiful body of Jesus? Well, what are the practicalities of all of this? I believe that God can show us how to grow closer in a godly way. I'd like to suggest some characteristics of healthy multi-ethnic churches. I think, first of all, a healthy multi-ethnic church will identify the nature of its congregation. Who's in the church? Who's in the congregation? Backgrounds, level of integration into Australian society, and, and so on. Are we aware of the problems that minority people face in Australia and the barriers that they many of them have overcome and are still overcoming to this day? On a positive note, I've heard some of our recent arrivals in Australia say how much they've appreciated uh, it when uh, established members of our congregation have got together with them outside of church, have helped them in various ways with documents and, and, and helping uh, learn to drive and so forth. A second uh, characteristic I'd suggest of a, a healthy multi-ethnic church is that it is a welcoming environment. How hospitable is our church? How ho hospitable are we as individual members? Do we try to practice fellowship across cultures or do we stick to people of, of like backgrounds? Uh, thirdly, I would suggest that there will be an absence of superiority feelings. Uh, through no virtue of my own, I grew off in well-up circumstances I grew up in well-off circumstances by some people's standards. I had plenty of opportunities to study, plenty of job opportunities. And that, that mustn't affect my thinking so that I somehow think that I'm better than other people or treating them as ignorant. I think another characteristic is that we will attempt to get to know one another in all directions, that the majority parts of our congregation will get to know minority congregations and vice versa. When I say vice versa, I think often the majority groups in our congregation often have um, more opportunity to take the initiative there. 
but we all do need to get to know one another in every direction. Another area of um, importance in a healthy multi-ethnic church is flexibility. And, I, and sadly, I think majorities are not always good at flexibility. Uh, we always think that we know best, or often we do. We shouldn't expect that everyone will do things the way we do, no matter who we are. One example that I have seen in other uh, multi-ethnic churches is that um, people stand up and give their testimony in church. Sometimes we have done that in this church, but not quite so often. Another area of um, health in a multi-ethnic church is um, that uh, different ethnicities will take leadership roles of all kinds and will hopefully serve on committees and, and teams together. And this will also include often having multi-ethnic pastoral staff. A final area that I'd suggest is that in a multi-ethnic church that's healthy, good communication is vital. Vital between pastors and leaders of the various ethnic groups so that everybody will feel welcome and included. Uh, how successful has our church been in, in all of these areas? I'm not the judge of that. You can mull over that in your own time. Uh, personally, I think that our international services, like the one today, have been so wonderful at including people from different ethnic backgrounds, all sorts of backgrounds, in one place. And they've given us the opportunity to see and take part in a range of worship styles. Isn't it good to see people speaking their own language when it's not English and being perfectly at, uh, comfortable in it, worshipping God? I would like to say that the uh, process of becoming a, a healthy multi-ethnic church will be helped tremendously by us all taking the time and effort before church, after church, whenever, to talk and fellowship with one another. One example for me would be uh, with um, our, our Nigerian uh, brothers and sisters who have joined the church. I have to admit that I know so little about Africa, uh, but I've been able to talk to uh, our Nigerian brothers and sisters and, of course, Sudanese um, Africans as well, and it's been so enriching uh, learning more about their culture. I hope it will continue. So this morning, uh, we've looked at these things. We've looked at how the church in many ways, uh, early church, was very multi-ethnic. We've looked at the challenges that that brought uh, to the church. We've looked at, at some characteristics of a healthy multi-ethnic church. And we tried to uh, look at ourselves. How will this look for multi-ethnic Wollongong Baptist Church? We do need to remember that our primary identity as Christians is not in our particular culture, but in our one Lord and in his one body. So finally, we are one body and one spirit, 
as Ephesians 4 says, we are one. But it goes on to say we need to make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And those efforts are often hard. If we're going to make every, every effort, they're often hard, with plenty of challenges and misunderstandings along the way. But the Bible tells us that the outcome will be wonderful, and we're experiencing some of that already. This is not impossible. It can happen with the guidance and help of God's Spirit. If that weren't so, why would God have given us this vision? Why would he have encouraged and equipped us to work towards it? Let me pray. Father, we are so weak and helpless without you. So please help us at WBC to grow in the grace of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ and to practice his grace in all our relationships. In Jesus' name, amen.